Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, November 13th, 2022. Hello, everybody. I'm John Vanderbilt. I'm the executive pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady. I serve as senior pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in today to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. Here we Woo-hoo. are. Here we are. Feels like yesterday. Feels like. <laughs> feels like. <laughs> what? Just one long day. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, you guys have small group on it. Sunday nights, right? It's yeah. busy, busy. John busy and Simone fall. have small groups Sunday nights, so you yeah. have church, and your John's here early, and you preached. Yeah, and we had a congregational, yeah, congregational and then a congregational meeting. meeting. Basically, live here. At the end of second service, I legitimately, I was singing with everybody. It was so loud, the singing at the end of second service. It was. The worship was amazing. I got home and I was like, I don't want to go home. Everybody yeah, stay. Yeah. So when John told me that the, the singing was so powerful, uh, I just, Sherry and I were over at PCC Sunday morning, and um, man, I hate missing out on powerful mm. uh, corporate <laughs> worship, congregational music, so... Yeah. It was good. Mm-hmm. It's a great morning. Our church really uh, enjoys, uh, seems to enjoy uh, Christ, our hope in life and death. That was the one mm-hmm. that we sang right after the sermon. And it mm-hmm. was just like, yeah. and then what he's done, that was that song has become kind of a special song for mm-hmm. us, I think, where just it seems like the most amount of people engage and engage passionately. Mm-hmm. And so those were our two final songs. And yeah, I actually, in the moment, I was like, oh, we should go back and sing another chorus. And I was like, <laughs> looking at the clock, and I was like, yeah. ah, okay, no. Yeah. And the, the guy, when you're looking at the platform to the left, he's a, he's a whooper. Derek? Yeah, yeah Derek. Yeah, he gets worked up. He was, yes. he was whooping. Yeah. You know what? I, I almost said it uh, in the introduction, but when you looked at the, the uh, platform and those that were involved in the service on Sunday, it was, so we had a high school kid and a 70-year-old. That's yep. awesome. Yeah. Like, you it's know, the, the kid playing the synth in the back and then Dane right next to him. Yeah. And the two of them would look at each other and kind of were like... Going yeah, at it. Yeah, it was, it was just fun. cool. Like, And what's, you know, it's even special. The there's all kinds of stories going on behind the scenes, right? And so this high school kid, we, um, he was playing violin. He played, he's, that's yeah. the third time he's been up. Wow. He's a violin player, but he's like, you know, I play piano too. And I was like, okay. So I had him come in and it's like, hey, how do you feel about this synthesizer up here? So... This is, it's interesting. This has played out two or three times now. So we, about a year and a half ago, we incorporated this new synthesizer with a laptop, which, you know, laptop has been part of music for the last you know, 15 years, whatever. And um, uh, some people scoff at it, you know. I, I get a little, when I go see a band, if they have a laptop, I'm like, eh, you know. But really, this <laughs> laptop generates some really powerful synthesizer sounds that most folks use in worship, and it just really feel, fills it out. The interesting thing is some of the older folks, some of the more seasoned folks, yeah. people in my age range. You're um, older? <laughs> what does that make me? Uh, old. Just old. <laughs> Matt's older. You're old. But, but they, they uh, have a harder transition from like just piano or, or a, a different kind of synthesizer over to this one over here that has a laptop and they just, yeah, they're just a little more hesitant with it because they're like, okay, I have to work a computer and a keyboard. But, but the 
the kids. The high school kids. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm serious. Like they're just like, okay, yeah, yeah this lever does that, and yeah. this this is my controller interface. So and, his oh, name okay. is Andrew Park. Right? Yes, he's a, yes, he's really really good. His but brother all, plays as well. He does. Yeah. We have three younger, uh, two college kids in, in one high school kid, and they just jump right into That's this awesome. thing yeah. because there's a lot of mm-hmm. you can't see it, but there's a lot of buttons and levers to control the laptop screen. Wow. Yeah. In addition to the keys that they play, so it's a lot. It's just funny. Some some of the older school folks are kind of like, "I'll try," oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know. But the but the high school and college kids they just jump in because I think it's because they they don't balk at yeah. seeing a laptop integrated with their instrument. Yeah. They're like, "Yeah, cool, laptop, I got that," you know. And it's right. no big deal. It's just fascinating. Yeah, it's cool. it's really cool. So kind of along the lines of what you were talking about about the generational yeah things and, yeah. Congregational meeting was good last night. Yep. Budget passed. We're set to go for 2023. Yeah, great reports from all the elders. Yeah. And yeah. Good questions asked. I yeah. thought so too. Yeah. Yeah. Really positive momentum building, I felt yeah. like. Yeah. You know, the May meeting was difficult. We had some dust in the air, and I felt like I was really appreciative of the elders. They swung back around and addressed some of the the May dust in the air, and, and I thought that that was good, talking about how the, the board is uh, working on cohesion and um, onboarding future elders, and yeah. I, just, I was encouraged by all that. Amy Coyle, it was announced, re- yeah. received the title pastor, so no longer children's ministry director, but now children's ministry pastor. Uh, Jesus said, uh, those who are faithful in a few things can be put in charge of more things. And it's just really a recognition that, uh, Amy's already doing a lot of pastoral ministry. And, um, so we're thankful for her. Yeah, we'll celebrate it on Sunday. Yeah, we'll do that Sunday morning along with child dedication. And who's preaching Sunday? I forget. Uh, Wait, that, that'd be me. <laughs> that'd be me. It's all downhill from here, folks. <laughs> I'm so pumped. That's awesome. First time at Glowing Bible Church. You've preached before at yeah. your previous church. And yeah. It is the Song of Moses. Yeah. And so I think it's a great inroad for John a, a worship pastor. Yeah. John mentioned, I was telling, telling him this yesterday, he mentioned in his sermon, like, how much more of, of the book of Deuteronomy we have left. And he's like, eh, we're not, we're not going to be able to finish it all. And I'm like, no, actually, I've got about an eighth of it of the <laughs> entire book. <laughs> the Song of Moses is long. It's so long. It's, it's like long. 60, 60 something verses, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's super long. But no, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm done. It's done. You're ready to go. It's, it's in the can. Yeah. Right. Now I just have to rehearse and refine. And we don't rehearse <laughs> because that's performance oriented. <laughs> um, we <laughs> rehearse the practice. gospel every okay. Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Those aren't my words. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> it's been fun. I love to write. I love to read. And, that's uh, terrific. It's, it's been fun. I think, though, I, I won't go into it in detail. Yeah, but don't give us, you know, no, no, no. spoilers. Um, I th- there, I think there are uh, different challenges in preparing this way. Even spiritually, I've felt a little bit of a burden uh, over, just over this weekend. Um, and I, just this morning, I was kind of thinking about it. Man, why did I? I was just kind of in a dark place for a minute. Like, what's going on with that? Like, you know, like kind of went in a hole for a while. Like, geez, that's uncharacteristic of me post-counseling. What's going on? I'm preaching a sermon. Oh. Yeah. Huh. I, I wonder what else is going oh, on. Yeah. I, I need to be praying yeah, more yeah. about that, about like, you know. So anyway, if you're listening, appreciate the prayers. Yeah. Prayers for clarity and um, spiritual goodness coming upon me. Mm-hmm. Hey, for what it's worth, I always, my prayer when I'm uh, prepping to teach, preach is always, Lord, feed your sheep. 
I have this deep theological conviction that pastors uh, do not grow grass. God causes grass to grow. Sheep eat grass is the point. God causes grass to grow. God feeds his sheep. Uh, Those who are offering God's word are more like waiters. We go into the kitchen, grab the food, and carry it out to the people. But God is the one feeding his people and I'm terrible at waiting tables. Yeah, me too. I dread that analogy. <laughs> Drop yeah. a lot of plates. I tried once. I was always a back of the house guy. I was always in the kitchen yeah. making the food. I tried to wait tables one time, and I, I, the person straight up, the the manager was just like, "Yeah, you know, you you tried. <laughs> Get back in the kitchen." <laughs> what else? Anything from Sunday? Uh, Good. Oh, did we have overflow in the second we did. service? We yeah. did. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's like uh, five out of the last okay. eight Sundays or something like that. Well, another quick plug. If you're listening and you want to make a small change in your life, come to the nine o'clock. It's it, a, a change that would serve the church. Would, it's a way to yes. serve. Yeah. Under, under every seat, we put a Powerball um, <laughs> <laughs> ticket. ticket. <No. laughs> so if you come at nine o'clock, sit down, reach underneath, you might have a winning ticket. <laughs> we could do that. Just put like twenty dollar Amazon cards or something. You know, the the sad thing <laughs> the is couple seats. The, the sad thing is I know churches. I actually know oh, I churches know. who've done this. Yeah. I've just as to get outreach, people to come to a yeah. different well as or, outreach mechanisms. Outreach, but also to move people to another yeah. service. Can you imagine what if we did like Bears tickets? Like I'm being hundred percent serious. Not like Powerball or not, but what if we did like a couple Bears tickets and parking passes and said, Hey, nine o'clock. It's going to be under someone's that's seat. Like, that's, now that's like $1,000 to yeah. go to Soldier Field. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's crazy. Our people are eager to serve. No need to arm, yeah, no. arm twist. Come to the nine. Come to the nine, man. For real. If we had a 60-ish people shift, was that the count? 70 people shift from second service, then the yeah. services would be nicely balanced. And the nine is full, but it's not like crazy full. Right. Yeah. You know, like it's second service. It's not we like have, we, we have, have to pack people. In. Right. It's not like we have twenty <laughs> people at the nine, and we're like, oh gosh, what are, what's happening? Like, the, the nine is full, but there's seats left. There's plenty of seats. So, yep, come and fill them up. All right, let's get into some questions. First one, that was the first sermon I have ever heard about Josiah. Why do you think his leadership doesn't get more attention? Yeah, somebody asked uh, asked me this question when they actually came forward at the end of, uh, I think it was second service, and they said, I've never heard of Josiah. I mean, I've heard the name, but I didn't know the... The eight-year-old king. The, the eight-year-old <laughs> king and the story and the faithfulness and all the things that he had he did. And she's like, I'm so inspired by his life and I want to read more. And mm. um, yeah, I think, you know, he's, I, and I said it to her, I said, he's... Uh, he gets a little bit of time in the midst of the roller coaster ride of good king, bad king, good king, bad king, and it's it's sort of in this um, section of scripture where you know his father Manasseh was horrible, has this moment of repentance at the very end of his life, but um, where the the train is running t- towards exile, <laughs> like you know the, God has already said you're going, you're heading out, like you're going to be held captive, your land's going to be taken away. I'm going to punish you. But Josiah still emerges in the midst of all of that. And so it's just in the, part of it is just the location that it's in. Um, you know, had he been right after King Solomon, you know, or something like that, perhaps there'd be more attention, you know, given to him. So I, I don't know. Um, also, a lot of churches like ours teach 
um, through a book of the Bible. So they, you know, like we're doing, going through Deuteronomy or Galatians or whatever we're going to do. And second, first and second Chronicles and first and second Kings just don't get a lot of that attention. Yeah. The books, um, you know, their historical narrative, which is, um, there's not a lot of direct application given in the text. It's something that you have to do what, similar to what we're doing with Deuteronomy, um, extract from it. And, and it's kind of just a, a litany of, you know, their behavior. And yeah, narrative. Hundreds of years can be covered in a couple verses. And, and so they just, they're not um, easy books to preach through necessarily. Again, they're inspired God's word. They're helpful to us for sure. Um, but when you're picking a sermon series, you have limited time and limited and number of sermons. The, we've and, done that in Deuteronomy. We need to be honest. Yeah, uh, right. We're, we're going to spend 35 weeks in Deuteronomy. We could have easily spent 70. In fact, there's a church across town uh, that is on track to do 70. So, wow. What was our start date? Oh, my gosh. For Deuteronomy. Do you guys remember? About Ballpark. 34 weeks ago. The, the year of our Lord. <laughs> well, we took some breaks in there, I yeah. guess. But I think it was last, it was last September. Yeah, okay. last fall. Yeah, And we, so, did, took, we took some breaks. So anyway, I think that's part of it. Um, I always smile every, anytime I see a, you know, hear a kid named Josiah. Hmm. You know, I'm like, oh, their parents know the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> like, you're picking, you know, Josiah for a reason. Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 2 was in February. So it was? Oh. Well, we walked, yeah, maybe it was after Advent last year, the beginning of the new year. Oh, here we go. Deuteronomy 1, 19 through 46 was the 13th of February. For the listeners out there, uh, she's looking in her notebook. She's looking in sermon notes. Deuteronomy 1, Kelly Brady, 2, 6, 22. Woo. Feb. Okay. What month are we in now? November? I mean, you're right. A calendar year. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're. Luke right. threw everything off. Yeah. <laughs> 84 or 127 uh, weeks. So anyway, that would be my take. I don't know what you, if you, what you guys, had you guys spent a lot of time with Josiah or heard about Josiah? Or? John, you do really good and you like. I mean, even we're, when we're here at the church together alone, I see you get worked up about Old Testament. Uh, worked up in a positive way. <laughs> Old Testament narrative. And, oh, for sure. and the movements of, of God's people, both positive and negative, and, and what was God doing in, in yeah. the Old Testament age? I always try. I said it in second service. I'm like, I'm sharing, you know, I'm, I'm all fired up about the, the book of the law. It's being found in like all these historical connections. And, where, you know, people are kind of looking at me. I'm like, sorry. I'm just like, <laughs> somebody after one of the services really enjoyed you getting yeah. fired up. Yeah, they like, yeah, yeah. I like history. I like to see how people acted and what they did and all sorts of history. You know, mm-hmm. I like biography and that kind of stuff is, I engage with it. And I was a personal moment for me on Sunday just saying, hey, this is what I, this is what I wanted to learn. You guys can listen along. Well, and that's valuable. Uh, we, we, want, we want preachers to be personally affected. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. You, um, I mentioned this to you yesterday. I asked how you felt about the message. Um, <laughs> I feel disingenuous to tell either one of you who preached the most here every Sunday what a great message it is. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of saying, John, that was such a good message, I was like, how did you feel about it? <laughs> um, but it was a really great message. And I confessed that 
I don't know, what was like halfway? Yeah. He started losing me when he started, he left Deuteronomy and went through like the entire rest of the a Old A thousand Testament. years of history. <laughs> I was like, okay, he's run out of things to say. And I started, like I looked at my phone and I responded to a text. Ordered some shoes. Bought a pair of shoes. That's literally what I said. Yeah, I was like, hey, th- those shoes were inspired. Anyway, so, and then, and then he got my attention when he landed back in Chronicles and brought up Josiah and I was yeah. like strong finish like that was a really really strong finish and what I love about what you did yesterday that you communicated without necessarily saying is that um, the whole Old Testament timeline is connected yeah and purposeful totally. and you did the hard work on behalf of the congregation of tying that all together and showing um, I mean I've I'm somewhat familiar with the Bible, yeah, but right. I did not know that sp- that specific story of how he found, or I don't remember him finding the law and um, the the distance of time between yeah. when that happened and the charge of Moses. I mean, when you mentioned that Moses is like goodbye speech was, and you're all going to fail. Yeah, you know, I was right. like, where is he going with this? This is depressing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but then tying it together, it was really encouraging and it felt... Um, like there was some really modern application, um, which you, I think kind of brought in towards the end. So it was super encouraging. I think that's why I, I'm a fan of preaching through the Bible or Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, preaching through a book and just going through the whole thing, um, and, and helping us who are sitting under that teaching, see things that we wouldn't see necessarily on our own. That's a good word. Thank you. One of my, one of my sons is eight years old. So it, it provided an opportunity to say, Hey, dude, just who he's talking about right now was your age. Okay, that's yeah. freakish to think yeah. about. And it was, it was all, the whole, the whole room was just kind of like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, it's like any eight-year-olds in the room. In both services, God was good. There were two eight-year-old <laughs> girls in the front right here, and they both kind of like, they didn't want to be, <laughs> you know, they didn't want to be brought on the platform, yeah. which is not beyond what I might do. So you could tell both of them were... Kind of that's an intense thing to think about. To, oh, if, if there's yeah. someone there who is eight, and you, you, you know, like we hear these old stories, and yeah. you're like, yeah, he was a twelve year old king. He was yeah, eight year old. Right. It's like, okay, yeah, whatever. But then you, when you see an eight year old and how right. they act and how they are, you're like, whoa, yeah. And we don't know heavy. what it was like to be an eight year old king. I mean, there's likely probably handlers and people helping sure. him and talking to him and things like that. But but still eight. It's still eight, <laughs> it's and he still got the title, and you know, yeah. he could have used it poorly or. You know, yeah. we we don't know, but we do know that even just, I think it's, you know, I think it says 18 years after he took the throne, he celebrated the first Passover in a way that Israel had never celebrated before. And so in his 20s, he's, he's, you know, yeah. clear, clearing the temples and, you know, yeah. anyway, late teens, early 20s. Can I make one more observation yeah. about uh, age? Yeah. In chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, in the first, second verse, Moses says, I am yeah. now 120 yeah. years old <laughs> and yeah. no longer able to lead you. Yeah. I saw that when we were reading through. I was like, oh, well, he's 120 yeah. years old. And Went st- on a camping trip starting yeah. at 80. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. With a million of his closest <laughs> friends. Right. <laughs> but if you think about the bookmarks of an eight-year-old king and a 120-year-old leader, yeah. like you really have no excuse. That's a good point. Right? Like right. God will point. use and can use anybody at any age. That's a age. great point. Yeah. 
Yeah. Someone came up to me after uh, first service and said, the most heartbreaking thing in the entire Bible is the crucifixion of Jesus. The second most heartbreaking thing in the Bible is that Moses didn't get to go yeah. into the promised land. I yeah. And, I, you know, okay. sure, her, her point was, every time I think about that and how good he was and a leader and faithful and all this kinds of things, I, I have to remember the... The he's justice, short. yeah, the yeah. justice of God in in it, and she's like, it's still just so heartbreaking for me to think that, you know, and that, you know, we don't want to spoil it at the end. He does get a glimpse right at the end. Well, and some <laughs> I I bemoaned Moses not getting into the promised land once, and after service, someone came up and pointed out, yet during the transfiguration, he shows up again. He's yeah, he's in the promised land. Yeah, I mean, he's with yes. Christ. Yeah. Uh, in in Israel, the promised land, and, and appears did, to Christ. This person actually did bring that up. She's yeah. like, that does give me a lot of hope that he got to experience heaven. And It's a real applicable life lesson to us today, oh. too, right? You know, we say that all the time at Naomi's house, that we mourn when we aren't the group of people who help women cross the finish line, you yeah. know, and get yeah. to the other side, maybe of healing or redemption or whatever. And... um it, it every time if we if someone leaves our program before she finishes or whatever it, you feel that loss but then you just have to remind yourself constantly that we have a role where we are with her on her yeah. journey and yeah. we're not always the one to get to see them cross the finish line and you, the only way to accept that and to get through that is to believe in God's sovereignty oh for sure otherwise it would be too overwhelming too overbearing mm -hmm. all right let's go to the next one what is the role of Old Testament prophecy is it always and only about Jesus? Is it all fulfilled in Jesus? Dun, dun, dun. Old Testament prophecy is uh, challenging stuff to think about. Um, there's a lot of it. I think Christ fulfills over 300 mm. prophecies in the Old Testament, something like that, three to 400 uh, prophecies. So... Um, I, you know, prophecy is, there's two things. I think, Kelly, you do a good job of explaining prophecy. The main thing that prophecy is, is telling the truth about God yeah. and who he is and what he's done or what he, uh, his character. And there's this call, it's direct, this direct call to the people to believe that prophecy, to change if they need to change. Um, repent Sometimes or, it's just comforting. Yeah. It's a prophetic word that's it, comforting. It, Moses's was... It was indicting and discomforting, in, in, <laughs> uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the, the second, so, so if that's, you know, prophecy is telling the truth about who God is and all that, then there's a second part of prophecy, and not all prophecy has it, but there's a foretelling of future events. And those are the ones that kind of make you, oh, what uh, do we do with that? Oh, did it happen? Did it not? You know? Um, so in the Old Testament, you know, we have this, uh, this privilege and advantage of looking back at prophetic words that are given. And, and we get to know, oh, that's what they were saying to that audience because this thing happened. But then we also can go, oh, but they were talking about this as well. You know, this, this thing as well, this future event as well. Or, and so it can, be, um, it can be a trap to think that every prophetic word that was given in the Old Testament is talking about something yet to happen, that that's the primary purpose of an Old Testament prophecy, I would say that the primary purpose of Old Testament prophecy is for the audience that's receiving that word. Mm -hmm. Yes. That it, they it needs, need to respond to it. Yeah. 
That's the, good. The second part of it is that if there is a foretelling of future events, that the fulfillment or non-fulfillment of that prophecy doesn't make the prophecy any any more or less true. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they didn't get it wrong ever, just because we can't necessarily see its direct fulfillment somewhere else in the Old or New Testament doesn't mean that it either it might not happen, you know, that it wasn't true. It could be happen. It could happen later. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are things, you know, that we can watch and see direct fulfillment. Okay, they said A was going to happen. A happened. Look at what God did. Isn't that beautiful? A lot of Isaiah we see fulfilled in um, in Christ. I don't think, so you guys might have other thoughts, I don't think that all Old Testament prophecy is only about Christ, if it's talking... I would agree. If it's foretelling a future thing, and I don't think that all Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled in Christ. There are some that, there are some that do, that that's a, an argument that, you know, the, all of the narrative comes down to, you know, to the like cross. Like a funnel. To the cross. It yeah, all sure. eventually, all roads, all prophecies, all eventually lead, lead there. And I mean, I can, I can engage with that at some degree. I mean, there is some truth, right? Like the, the, all the hope is in Christ. All the law is fulfilled in Christ. All the curses are taken away in Christ. I, I'll give you an example. I, I feel like there is still uh, some prophetic words, Old Testament and New Testament, uh, dealing with Israel, the people of God, and I, I don't simply mean ethnic Israel, but I mean those Israelites who who trust in Christ and are called by God in Christ that are yet to be fulfilled, and okay. they have to do with the with Israel and God's promise, the Abrahamic covenant, and the land, the land, the land is so, still a an important issue. So I, um, I think the, uh, Israelites. All Israelites who are being who are being saved will be cared for in their salvation through Christ. So there's a nexus there, a coming together in Christ. But there are still some. I think there are some unique dealings of God with the people of Israel mm-hmm. that are yet to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, I love what you said, John, about how uh, prophecy primarily reveals the person of God to us, the purposes of God for us, what He's up to in the world. And beyond that, there can be quite a bit of waiting mm-hmm. um, required. We can see some fulfillment, but there's still some waiting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people that spend a lot of time on <laughs> prophetic, you know, they look around and wonder, you know, oh, is that the, are we in that age now? Or are we so, in that moment? Or is that the thing that's happening? And I, I can see some there's, you know, some value mm-hmm. in, in trying to understand moves of God and, and the ages that God moves in and, and those sorts of things. But there, there's also a trap there where it's like every event that's happening, we got to go back and find where it was prophesied about. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, no, this is the, you know, this guy becoming king or this president or this whatever, that's in direct fulfillment of this, you know, these, these grids and maps and this <laughs> thing that's happening. It's like, I don't think that that's valuable. This time last year, I was uh, preaching the book of Revelation, and one of my big takeaways in the, in the book of Revelation is, I think it is intentionally opaque. Hmm. I think there are things hidden. In hmm. fact, we know it's not beyond God to hide some things. Paul 
talks about Christ um, being the revelation, that, uh, the unfolding or the revealing of what's been hidden, God's intentions uh, in Christ being hidden. So we know for a long time that that God hadn't fully revealed Christ and his purposes of a suffering Savior and the resurrection and how the gospel would play out. Um, he hadn't fully revealed that in the Old Testament period. And so I think similarly, we can, we can expect there be some opaqueness to the future, and I, and, which requires faith. It shouldn't be a surprise to us that we don't fully know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm 100% fine with that, too. Yeah. I know, we, um, just hearing you talk about that, like, hey, well, this prophecy happened this time, and yeah. you need to know right. the season or the dispensation or whatever. Yeah. Like, right. I, I, I remember Whoa. hearing... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Didn't mean to bring that up. Um, but just, you know, we cover a lot of that in seminary, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking, um, wow, it would be easy to stay here and just go down these multiple rabbit holes... But it's all kind of, I'm not saying everyone's like this, but I've started feeling the temptation to be like a biblical prospector. You know, like I'm going <laughs> to, you, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to find something no one else has found yeah, and then I'm going to yeah. discover. Well, that's a danger. It, right. it, 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 and that's what I'm saying. And, and yeah. then you, you realize, I think maybe, okay, maybe this is how all, all of these different views and theories and mm-hmm. ha, have arisen. And I just, I don't know. I, I Then I just turned it off. I was like, I, I have yeah. no right. real, like... That's good, a biblical prospector. <laughs> well, yeah, we all want to discover something. I mean, gosh, yeah. you, you see that and just reading all the books and writing all the papers you have to write in seminary right. and stuff, and you're like, really, I got to read this book? This dude is saying what? Well, I actually like, think that's one of the dangers <laughs> oh, okay. of like, uh, academia uh, to become a PhD, a to write a, a doctoral. Yeah, you got to write on something no one's ever. You have to say on. something original, <laughs> and the pressure to say something original in Old Testament, New Testament studies may not serve the church well, because just because it orig- it's original may actually mean it's not true. Oh, mm. totally. I can. I, I, <laughs> I wrote a paper when I was in undergrad one time, and about a theory about something. Yeah, I think it had to do with the Tower of Babel or something. I took you had to take a class on Genesis oh, yeah. or something I, like that. And the prof wrote back, "I've never heard this take before. I'm pretty sure you're wrong." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But I got, right, I, got right. I felt I was in this zone of like I need to be this I'll biblical prof. Totally. This is what this means, you I'm know. Blow your mind. Yeah, like, and yeah. <laughs> the prof was it was so funny, but. And the irony and I was, is, I was there's, there's the gold on every wrong. page of the Bible, pretty yeah. much. Like, there's something to be gleaned and learned and and cherished and all, you know. Yep. Anyway. Uh, okay, let's go to the... This is right, right. Okay, here we go. Does the Ark of the Covenant still exist? Mm. Where is it? What would it mean if it were found? I think it's in Philadelphia. It's at Naomi's house. <laughs> It's in the basement. It's actually under the stage at 501. (laughs) The platform? It's right underneath here. We found it when we did the remodel. (laughs) Totally. That's terrible. Okay. Uh, So the last time the Ark of the Covenant's mentioned is in the reign of Josiah. Yeah. Interesting. I I listened to your sermon. I wasn't here yesterday, but I listened to it. I I didn't... I didn't make much of the Ark. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I didn't. It's a... I just said that it was... It's not terribly fruitful. Well, it's it's an interesting thing because... You know, the ark gets like this. I mean, a guy stumbles, touches it as, they're, struck dead, as right. they're crossing, you know, as they're zigzagging through the wilderness yeah. and falls dead. Yeah. He was trying to keep it from... Hands off. ...from breaking right. and falling, and he's dead. So there's this um, kind of aura around the ark and how it's treated, and it's, 
It's with the people. Indiana Jones knows how to handle yeah, it. Yeah, it's the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, you know, it's got uh, it's got mana in there. It's got the, the staff that budded. The staff. It's yeah. got the stone. The Ten yes. Commandments. Yeah. Um, they're the, the 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 new ones after Moses broke them. Um, it's it's got the Book of Deuteronomy in it. We learned that. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah. So, I, I, sorry, I was going down a rabbit hole in my mind when I was listening to you preach because I've been reading about all this. Yeah, oh, isn't yeah. it? Didn't they? He gave it to the Levites and he put it next to the ark. I thought it. What is this? The the book, the law. Keep it with the keep oh. it with the ark, and they put it next to the ark. Oh, interesting. I might have just misstepped my when I well, when according I read it, to the Google. The Google. Where is it? The people, Google knows. People know where it is. Church leaders is what it says. According to church leaders, the Ark of the Covenant has for centuries been closely guarded at Ascom at the Church of St. Mary of Zion. Yeah. It, yeah, I'm finding that doubtful. <laughs> I, don't where, know, where was I, I don't know what part of the Google you're reading. What country? <laughs> I just put Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Next level, baby. That's how you do research, right? Um, so some people think it's in the Vatican basement. The archives of all the, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff down in the Vatican basement, right? I did not know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's where, I mean, they give. Let's let's just be clear. So no one knows exactly where it is. (laughs) The ark is not mentioned after Second Chronicles 35, uh, except it's mentioned in Revelation chapter 11. It's present in the heavenly temple, whether that's uh, figurative or literal, we don't know, but. Between it's the invasion of Nebuchadnezzar and the deportation of God's people uh, and Revelation chapter 11, it's not mentioned. So it, it's, there's a reason that Indiana Jones is looking for the last part. I love that, I that, last, that last scene. Is just they roll it into chills. the... Where everybody's face just, melts? No, no. The very, very, very last <laughs> scene. me out when where I was you roll kid, it. Where you realize yeah. the Ark is just in, in a, a box, box in this massive warehouse <laughs> right. on some random shelf. Right. Well, it's the, so crazy. The movie has zero yeah. factual... No, 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 right. of course. Okay, but it's interesting. They want the Ark because whoever carries the Ark before them yep. in battle will have success. Yes. Which... Supposedly. That, that's not true. Wait, according but, to the movie or according yeah, to the Bible? No, according... <laughs> well, they use the... They lore. Use, they use the Bible, yeah. you know, because of how the Hebrew people used... Had the Ark and they carried it into battle and the success that it brought. And yep. so... Some people, I, I think the most logical place it's located is in the dome, underneath the dome of the rock, in the tell of the Temple of Jerusalem. That it was likely when they were captive and as that, you know, and so the dome of the rock, you know, Mm -hmm. that's where, okay, Mm -hmm. so that cannot be excavated and it probably never will be allowed to be excavated. Just because of political tensions. Because of the political and religious tension between the sure. Islamic faith and the and Judaism and Christianity and there's been attempts at trying to um, X-ray mm. through the walls to yeah. see what is in that tell, what is wow. underneath there, and there's been that has not gone well. So my if it if it does still exist in its physical form and this golden you know box with cherubim over the top and all the things inside. And if it does, if it does still have the aura of you can't touch it, and all this, my guess at the most likely place would be there. But I, I have no foundation. It, to, it doesn't. Mm-mm. Yeah, 
It doesn't. Other than, you know, the person's question of if it was found, what would that mean? Mm-hmm. I think it could add some... Anytime, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls are yeah. found. It helped. There's some recent yeah. thing, you know, some things about the Canaanite people that have recently been discovered. And all those things help uh, make the case we, <laughs> for the validity of the, of the yeah. gospel. Christians the have accuracy. nothing to fear from the truth. We don't have anything to fear. Like, have y'all heard the, what if aliens show up? What right. will that do with scripture? Yeah, right. Nothing. We have nothing to fear from the truth. We have every reason uh, to wait eagerly in expectation of the truth to be revealed. There's an interesting second Mac- Maccabees, which is an intertestamental book. So the, you mentioned the 400 years of silence. So um, there's the, the Maccabean reign. Um, there are some extra biblical books written. Uh, they have the ark being hidden by Jeremiah um, in some uh, caves yeah. along with the tent rolled up. Uh, of the tabernacle, and so, uh, but anyway, there there is there's lots of lore, folklore around it, and yeah. it makes for good Hollywood movies. But if we found it, yeah, I do think it'd be a blessing. But I, I don't think a lot of speculative effort makes us much more godly. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's go to the next one. The covenant curses God laid out for Israel, if they were unfaithful, seem out of character for a loving God. What are we to make of how harsh they seem? Yeah, that's a pretty rough section of scripture. Did any of you take the time to read through it all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you've been prepping, yeah. so <laughs> yeah, the curses fresh. are laid out. But yeah. um, <clears throat> it can, to me, I don't mean maybe you guys have other other thoughts as well. It can, to me, feel out of step with God's character mm. to some degree, just in my, um, like I get the question, you know, it says, if you do this, God will curse you with this. God will give you this. I mean, there's a direct, you know, from God to a person or people, you'll have boils, your children will die. You have, you know, there's some really, really hard thing. You'll be given over to cannibalism. There's this descriptions of, I mean, it's horrible. <laughs> Yeah. It's really horrible stuff that it's going to happen. And at the, so when I see that, I say, okay, well, this is a unique time and a unique place. And these are a unique people. God has a covenant and a standard with them that is different than um, how we live today. The covenant we have with God through Christ is different. It doesn't mean that who God is in his character changes, but how he acts towards a people mm-hmm. Um, is different. The Israelite, the nation and Israel and the people of Israel are in a unique covenantal relationship with God and his standard for them, their disobedience towards him required and caused different actions from God than necessarily happen all throughout time, place, history. Does that make, does that make sense? And, yes. And at the same time, I, I then say to myself, okay, well, what can I learn and glean then from those curses when I can say God has zero tolerance of sin? There's zero tolerance for sin. God can't interact with it. God yeah, that, can't be with it. If God's going to call the Messiah from the nation of Israel, the standard is higher, is higher for them. Their covenant, his covenant with them is unique. We see him wanting to punish disobedience. And bless. And bless. Punish Unique, disobedience. Uniquely bless them. Cleanse his people from sin. Uniquely bless 
bless them again, to bring the Messiah from them. Well, that's, so that's one thing we see. So it isn't outside of God's character because of that relationship. Well, then I can glean from that, that as a child of God who's saved through Christ, that sin is still not tolerated. God doesn't want sin. God doesn't want to interact with sin. God doesn't want to be around sin, but Christ covers my sin. Yeah, I think we live in an age where God's holiness and his hate of wickedness is not played fully. We don't give it the credence that we could and that we probably should. Looking at the crucifixion, the sufferings of Christ... Um, we see there um, the weight of sin. And so I, I feel like um, that it's not out of step. The curses and blessings of the Old Testament are not out of step with the character of God in the New Testament. I think they're weighty. We don't, we don't deal with them much. We, we don't wrestle with it the way we could. And his desire was not to curse. His desire right. was to bless. 100% unavoidable. Yeah. Right. Just do these things. Right. Live this way. Right. right. I guess there, there, there probably is a takeaway, too, of, you know, if we're thinking about the character of God and what he's capable of, and then, but then what we're capable of. So if we want to read Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30, and 31, where the curses are laid out, that's what we're capable of to some degree. Well, actually, away from God. Well, there was cannibalism in AD 70 when right. Jerusalem was under siege. Um, Jewish, I mean, Josephus reports it, that uh, the Jewish people were eating their children. That, that's the prophecy of Moses. Right. It's fulfilled right. in that thousand years. We of... are capable of that. He, Correct. So Romans 1, he turns us over. Yeah. Uh, it, it, but by the grace of God, go we. Um, so... It helps me to think about um, God as uh, as a loving father, mm-hmm. as wanting what's best and knowing what's best for his children, and knowing that that is uh, worshiping and following him and obeying him. That's what he knows that that's what's best for us, that will make us work the best, to live the best, like, you know, fulfill the potential that he's given us and, and mm-hmm. all of those things, right? Like that's what, it's the same thing with our kids. We, if you do these things and eat this way or don't stay out in, at midnight or don't eat all your Halloween candy in one seat, like all of those things <laughs> are good for you, for our kids. And we know that as, as the father and, um, and then knowing that they, they don't do those things and then they, that they rebel. And not only do they rebel, but like they actually start calling someone else father. Yes. They start worshiping Heart someone right. else. We'll cover it next week. I'm not going to go into detail next week, so I can talk about it now. But like in, in the Song of Moses, God talks about, you start worshiping someone who just showed up. He just showed up. <laughs> this God just showed up and was like, hey, what's up? Like, here I am. And the people are like, we're going to worship you. Like, I mean, and, and then to, you know, to piggyback on what Kelly was just talking about, about God's holiness, like then you have this element of holiness, right? So, so they already are just like, hey, no, we're going to worship this other God who literally just showed up, new God, we're going to worship him. Yeah. And we're not going to worship you anymore. And first of all, that's got to hurt, right? Like oh, that's yeah. got to, but then, but then you have this element of holiness that is hard to wrap our minds around. Yeah, It just is. So when we come up with stuff like this, where it's hard to find a loving God and what he allows to happen. Yeah. Um, 
it does me good good to think about those things. Sure. Yeah. Outside Christ, so when we're born biologically, we are we are under a curse. So all that is depicted in Deuteronomy 29, 30 is all that's depicted there is, is our reality apart from Christ. I mean, hell is, hell is, is, um, is difficult and it's real, uh, but praise God for his, his care of us in Christ and, cry, and God's son's willingness to go to the cross and bear the wrath of God on our behalf. Yeah. And you know, later on in that song, he, God even says... you. I'm gonna. I should wipe all of you. Every single one of you. I should wipe out. Yeah, you should be done with. But he doesn't. Yeah, he pivots and yeah, you know. Anyway, um, where are we at? Four or five? Five. Five. All right. Would a Christian <laughs> imitating Josiah need to stand up courageously in a community of faith, or is it more about standing up courageously against broader culture? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Both. Yeah. Josiah is a beautiful life. I was just reflecting on it this morning as I was listening to your sermon, John. Just uh, per, his personal repentance, his youthful humility, his response to the discovery of the law. And before the podcast, I was um, I was still reflecting on your sermon, and I was just would that the law, when it was re- when it's read publicly, would pierce all our hearts that way. Oh, totally. You know, yeah. would that we were soft-hearted. And I've had seasons when I'm uber soft yeah. to the Word of God, and it's just shaping me and having positive. And then I've had seasons where I'm not very, oh, God's word kind of bounces off me when yeah. my heart is hard and I'm, I'm not very approachable to, to the spirit by the spirit of God. Uh, so there's a lot that's beautiful in Josiah's life. Um, and yeah. you could preach a sermon on, you know, would that we were more like Josiah, but the good news is uh, our call is to imitate Christ who, who's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, you guys are kind of joking about it, but it is, you know, Josiah is unique. I mean, he's the, he is the uh, king of a nation, but he's also the spiritual leader of the nation. You know, there's this link. It's a theocracy between. It's a unique time and place. It's a unique time and place. Yeah. And, and so his standing up courageously is a move of um, standing up to culture, but it's also standing up you know, in cleansing the faith, the, the one, they're one and the same. So I take that to be, well, there may be places where I need to stand up that are cultural, societal. There may be other places I need to stand up that are religious or academic or whatever. Um, so Josiah's situational, the situation he's in is very, very different and unique. Well, none of us will ever face it, but the takeaways of being courageous you know, I think especially of young people and the situations they're in and the connection with Josiah that they can make. So, John, thanks for preaching. Good yeah, stuff. Yeah, sure. Good. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Happy to do it. All right. That's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. 
We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you for joining us. Thank you listeners for tuning in to the next level. Boom. Prophecy.